Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Uncommon Conversations, where we work on creating comfort out of discomfort. Happy Wednesday, another week, another day. How are you? How's your morning so far? Mine's good. Thank you for asking. I knew you were going to ask, so I just thought I'd beat you to the punch. First and foremost, those of you who are new, welcome. I'm excited that you're here. Since you're new, I want to give you a little bit of context. This podcast was created out of my own desire to dive deeper into topics or ideas that are typically avoided by people every day. For those of you who have listened to other episodes, welcome back. I'm excited to continue the conversations with you as well. Like we shared last week, this month is Mental Health Awareness Month, which means we get another excuse to talk about things that affect or have an effect on our mental health. It's not an easy topic to talk about, but what better place to talk about those things than on the Uncommon Conversations podcast, am I right? Now, before we jump into today's topic, I didn't forget that I gave you a little bit of homework last week. I asked you to think about things that are affecting your mental health right now. Things that are heavy or that are overwhelming you, that are stressing you and or even frustrating you. It can be people, it can be things, anything, truly. And I want you to think about those things right now and take a minute to think about them. You won't hear me, but I'm going to be thinking about those with you as well. Okay, ready? Go. I hope you didn't put a timer because it wasn't really a minute, but I wanted you to really take a second to think about these stressors that are causing you to feel some type of way right now in your life, whether they're personal, professional, relational, spiritual, financial, academic. I feel like I can't just say academic when I've said personal, professional, spiritual. I think I should say academical. So we're just going to make up that word right now, whether it's personal, professional, spiritual, financial, or academical. Um, (laughs) That that made me laugh. Um, I want you to think about those things and see um, what did you feel? You know, what did you feel not in the way of emotional feelings like, oh, I felt sad or I felt stressed or I felt happy. I don't know why you would feel happy with those stressors, but I'm not talking about, you know, taking that moment and that space to think about, you know, once I think about those situations, what is it that I feel and attach an emotion to it? But what did you actually feel in your body in reaction to you when, to you thinking about those stressors? You know, did your chest tighten up? Did your eyes water a little? Did you feel sick or dizzy? Like your stomach got queasy. Maybe your heart started racing a little bit faster. Typically that's what happens to me. Or, Lastly, did you feel like grabbing your stressor and folding it nicely into little pieces and putting it in a little cute little box and wrapping it with a a bow with some polka dots and throwing it the fuck out? Because that's honestly the other thing that I I typically do. I rather grab whatever I'm feeling and thinking about that's causing stress in my life. And basically what I'm saying is isolating it and putting it in a closet and saying, I will take care of that later. I will come back to that later. But the thing is that we typically don't come back to that. We, it's almost like we go to Target 
um, or I should say it in the more in a French way, Target, and we get organizers to clean up that closet with all of our stressors, with all of our pains, with all of our things that we're struggling with, so that we could avoid them even better. It's almost like we, instead of paying attention and finding ways that we could get better at identifying and healing the things that we struggle with, we get better at avoiding them and creating ways so that we could ignore them. Mm. Hashtag toxic. And so, see, that's what I wanted to talk about today. The thing that causes us to avoid feelings and reflecting on our mental health. What social and cultural influences have an effect on our mental health every single day? But if you're a veteran, then you know there's one more thing that we got to do before jumping into today's topic. Can you guess what it is? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? You're right. I think you guessed it. I'm not sure I can't really hear you, but it's my expectations of you. The reason I share these expectations at the beginning of every episode is because I'm a firm believer that if someone has expectations of someone else, we must communicate them. If we do not communicate our expectations, we often run ourselves into disappointment. And that's simply because we didn't share our expectations. Could you imagine what other things could come up regarding disappointment or other feelings for other reasons? So, I don't want that for us, so let me share what I expect of you. The first expectation is respect. Please be respectful of this space as many people may come with different goals or intentions. I want this space to be safe for others to grow, to reflect, and to feel. The next one is assume positive intent. Assume that the words and the ideas, opinions that I share are coming from a genuine heart to build conversation as well as comfort in having these hard conversations. It's not easy to be able to open what we would sociologically say a can of worms, a can of struggles, of pains, of challenges that we have every single day and talk about them with just anyone. So please, please, please assume positive intent in, in these conversations. The next one is lean into disagreements with vulnerability and curiosity. I can validate how it's easier said than done, but don't let fear get in the way of you opening up and becoming curious about a topic or from being vulnerable with yourself. The second to last one is give yourself space. A lot of these conversations are more present in our lives than you might realize. When listening to this podcast, put yourself in a place where you could think, where you could feel, and where you could process. Do your best to find space before starting this podcast or even right now to pause the podcast to feel like you're getting in the moment and in the right headspace to listen to today's conversation. And the last one is continue having these conversations with friends, family, and people that you trust so that you could foster and influence growth in your own life. The reason a lot of these topics are hard to have is because we don't have them. The more we work on having them, the easier it'll get to process a lot of the things that happen in our life. Vale, chicos, chicas, it's week two of Mental Health Awareness Month, and today's topic is going to be super. I hope you're able to relate and rationalize with what I brought to the table. I feel like this series of opportunity, I feel like the series of opportunity, pardon me, and fear revolved heavily on my polarized opinion and just the things that I've experienced 
rather than this series, I'm going to do it my best to focus as much as I can on the research and opinions of medical providers who have dedicated time into researching and treating mental health for years. Don't worry, I'll I'll be here to either give stories or my opinion as well, but my main goal this month is to educate and bring as much awareness as possible for the people who listen to this podcast. A little recap, last week I shared this year's mental health awareness theme that NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, came up with, and it's Together for Mental Health. Their purpose behind this year's theme is to bring people together and build a community of support for those struggling with their mental health. We also talked about what mental health is and isn't, main factors that affect our mental health, and some ways to find help in the case that you are struggling with it so badly that you need to include someone else to join you in that support to tackle your mental health challenge. Last week, I told you guys I wanted to find and share more information about cultural and social effects on our mental health. And what I found was in the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, they said that cultural influences are typically seen by, you know, how we see mental health from various ethnicities and backgrounds, as well as how we react to those solutions that are resources that exist. And so what I mean by that is a lot of us, we immediately think about mental health in a cultural perspective of like what's unique about us, like our language, our clothing, our food, but that's a society's culture that impacts our beliefs and our norms and values. So our norms and our values, depending on the culture that we've grown up in or that we've developed in, has a a great effect on our ideas and our behaviors, how we see different things, how we react to certain situations. And in the case of mental health, it can impact whether or not you seek help, what type of help you seek, and what support you have around you. Now, there are a couple of things that, you know, the Commonwealth Fund, which, uh, you know, um, minorities in the United States are less likely to get mental health treatment or will wait until symptoms are severe before looking for treatment. And I shared that with you guys last week in regards to an example I used, I believe I used my dad, um, or I used the Mexican culture. It is very true that in the Mexican culture, you will not go and seek treatment for any type of treatment, right? Medical treatment, whether it's mental health or physical health, until the symptoms are so severe that solutions have definitely decreased. It's like, okay, well, we got one out of five solutions here because you waited to the last minute. That is very true in the Mexican culture. If you don't need to see a doctor, why see a doctor, right? There's no need for it. I feel like in this case, it also has something to do with socioeconomic status. Let's dive that into that for a little bit. If you are... Um, and I can speak on this because I have some sort of exposure to it. If you think about the currency and just the socioeconomic, um, the socioeconomic just development in Mexico, um, it's, it's not the very best. And so what I mean by that is people don't make a lot of money. Um, things cost, it's the conversion between how much thing costs and how much you make. It just doesn't add up. It's not a healthy ratio. And so when thinking about, oh, 
I feel sick or, oh, I think I should go see a doctor. And you then think about the cost. A lot of the times it's not just our norms and values and our personal beliefs that deteriorate us or neglect us from wanting to go see a, a medical professional, but it's more how much it costs, right? That affordability and that accessibility and availability to medical um, help. And I always talk about that because I think in the United States, we target a little bit heavily on what is the, um, shoot, I just forgot. Oh my God, I had a brain fart. Let's dial back. Um, We talk about the Affordable Care Act, right? The affordability of healthcare. Now, being someone that works for a biotech healthcare company, I say it's not just about affordability, whether or not someone is able to afford medical resources and tools so that they could live a healthier and sustainable life. It's about the accessibility and the availability of those resources for people as well. Think about it this way. We make a doctor's visit from, I'm just throwing random numbers out here. Um, Let's say for making a doctor's visit from being, man, this is... This is where my privilege shines because I have insurance, so I don't pay for a doctor's visit. But let's just pretend it's a solid $100. There could be more, it could be less, don't know. But let's say a doctor's visit costs you a solid $100. And because of the Affordable Care Act or just different laws that we're doing to target the affordability of healthcare in the United States, we bring that cost down to $10, right? Well, if you live in the Midwest or you live in an area where the accessibility of those resources of medical attention is not readily available to you as easy, you know, you may have to travel, which costs money. And if you are someone in the state of New York or state of California where gas prices, fuel costs are about $6, almost $6.50 a gallon well, who cares if a doctor's visit costs you $10 to get there is probably going to cost you another 40. So now our cost is $50. And I'm saying $40 to be generous, right? Because that's half a tank. Well, half of my tank. And so if we just use an average, right, of $40 to get to and from the doctor's office, uh, maybe a pit stop at the pharmacy, because if you go to see a doctor, you typically will get some sort of prescription. And that means before you get home, if you your doctor already virtually sent over that prescription, you're going to need to stop and get that medication before you go home so that you could prevent going out again after you make it back home. So you are going to be using quite some dollars to just get to and from the doctor's office. And that on top of the cost to go see the doctor um, plus if you don't have insurance for the doctor, I could, I, I believe it's safe to assume you don't have the insurance to pay for medication. You see how all these costs, these external costs become then, um, more of a factor and an effect on whether or not you seek treatment, uh, when symptoms are light rather than when symptoms are severe. Let's bring us back into what we were talking about regarding culture. This is just one example or one story of how, um, cultural beliefs as well as cultural factors that affect our socioeconomic status as well have an effect on the availability, accessibility, and affordability of our healthcare. And under that healthcare umbrella, we're specifically talking about mental health. So here are four ways that culture does impact our mental health. And that's first and foremost, probably the most important one is our cultural stigma. Every culture has a different way of looking at mental health. 
And for many different cultures, there's a growing stigma around mental health and mental health challenges. And they typically correlate and, and round back to weakness. And that's something to hide, right? Depression is something that people say, oh, I'm not depressed. I'm just having a rough day. I'm not depressed. I'm just stressed. I'm just overwhelmed. Well, that's how it starts, right? And and I want to talk about something else that I looked up uh, in an interview that Dr. Sue, Farm, uh, Sue Varma, who is a board-certified psychiatrist, she was talking about living with sadness. And when she said living with sadness, I, I think it's very courageous for people to choose to live with that sadness. If you know me very well, I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Brene, Brene Brown. Immediately once I heard the word courage, I got triggered to think, oh my God, vulnerability, courage. But what, what Dr. Varma says about living with sadness is that most importantly, there's so many times that we have stick, created a stigma sociologically that we cannot process or live with one more than one emotion at one time. Let me dive that in, uh, dive into that a little bit deeper. Typically when we go through a situation or something happens to us, we want to process one emotion at a time. And you've probably have heard of what these five stages are, right? Kubler-Ross in her writing makes it clear that these are the five stages in processing grief or in understanding grief. And those five stages are denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression, and then acceptance. And, you know, often talked about these five stages, moving from one to the other, there's a transitional time where there's some confusion and ambiguity with not understanding what the next one will be, but we always find ourselves in the next, the appropriate next stage of this model that exists. And so denial looks like we feel numb in, in the early days of, of this grief that we feel. Some people might believe that you know, no, nothing's happened. I know this is not true. This is definitely not happening. Even though we know within our heads that this grief, whether it's been death or, or this loss of something has happened, it's just so hard and so heavy for us to believe that it won't be coming back, that it just causes us to retract. Remember in the beginning, I told you we're so good at putting things in the closet and forgetting about them and saying, nope, I'm not going to handle that right now. It's almost like that. Like it's so hard to believe because of how important that person or that thing was in our life. We choose to deny and say, that's not happening. I know this is not happening right now. And then after that, we feel anger. It's a completely natural emotion. I want to start off by saying um, to feel angry after some sort of grief. Um, I typically this model targets death because death can seem cruel and unfair, right? And especially when you feel like someone has died before their time or you had plans for someone, right? Those expectations that you had created with that person. It's very common to feel angry towards the person who has died or angry at ourselves for the things that we did or didn't do before they died. And then after that, we bargain, right? We once we are in our pain, it's sometimes hard to accept that there's things that we cannot do to change things. Um, sometimes we make deals with ourselves or we make deals with God. If you're someone that's religious, you know, you say, God, you know, I promise you if this person is back um, or if you could give me my job back or if I'm able to recover these $100 um, that I will, I don't know, I'll, I'll dedicate my life to you, that I will go on a mission trip, that I will 
do certain things, right? You really, really are becoming emotional, emotionally reactive. You are making promises out of your own emotions that you may not even want to keep or you're so thinking out of hand. And then we get into that sadness. That's the sadness and the longing of, you know, man, this hurts. What What is going on? And you just don't have motivation to do anything. And then you finally accept what's going on. And so what Dr. Varma was sharing about living with that sadness is that most of the time we believe that grief and gratitude cannot coexist. And those are the two examples that she shared for the mental health crisis that we're currently experiencing in the United States or in the world, if I could say. And But I want to say that that's true. Most of the time, we lack the emotional ma- emotional maturity to be able to to understand that we could live and process more than one emotion at one time, that two emotions can coexist. And when you could find the time to identify that you could process two separate emotions or more at one time, then you have really found the hallmark for emotional maturity. You have reached a place where you could really say that you are intelligent with how you're processing and reflecting and healing in your life. And, you know, I want to talk about that because what do you think about when you think of the word grief? For me, I think about something just happened. I was just made aware of that thing that's causing pain in my chest and making me feel small and not energized to do anything. So what I quickly want to do, and this is just me, is wanting to put on sweats, an oversized crew neck, turn off the lights in my room, close the blinds, and literally like just listen to sad music. Just right now when I'm saying sad music, think of an artist that makes you feel comfortable in letting out those those tears or like my little sister says my eyes are sweating what music lets you sweat out of your eyes i'm not going to say what artist i think personally because i don't want to just correlate or identify some specific artist for grief because i think if i was in the music industry i wouldn't want to be recognized as the depressing artist or something so but there is those artists that you could think of right now think of one i'm thinking one that starts with an s and one that starts with an a Uh, And another one that starts with an O, but artists that really allow you to really feel your emotions, right? We, we, we often associate that the word simp. What are some artists or music that allows you to simp in situations that really make you feel just not yourself? And I want to talk about that of those times that you don't feel like yourself. Sometimes Oh gosh, here's a story for you. When I was in in college, I, you know, we had a we had two campuses. I know if you don't if you're not familiar with where I went to school, um and for just privacy reasons, I'm not going to share what the name is. We had basically two campuses because when the university was started, we didn't have that many students, right? It was 1899 and so there wasn't a need for a, a bigger campus, so we only they only had purchased one one property. And as time went on, and obviously more and more people enrolled into the university, they started growing. They needed another space, another location to ha- to be able to accommodate all of the you know degrees and all of the schools. Right? Everyone knows that, or not everyone. I shouldn't assume. If you don't know, universities it's the institution that the academic institution you attend and then the schools within the university are like the school of business the school of nursing the school of um 
liberal arts. I, I don't know what other schools there are. School of Engineering. Um, but anyways, so to be able to house and fit all of the different schools at the university, they had to buy another property. However, the property that was right next door that they could, that could have been really, really well so that it could be just one huge campus. It was already purchased by a community college. The nearest campus was maybe about half a mile. So they created and purchased that property because it was really the only realistic option. We had a trolley system. You could walk. A lot of people would skateboard. But anyways, besides the point, besides that point, um, when I was in college, I would remember I would walk from, I loved walking. I would walk from class to work to my other job to chapel because we had chapel a chapel requirement. And so I would do a lot of walking and put my headphones and people I had, I you know, that I had done life with, that I had class with, that I had worked with, they kind of saw my drive and passion and they would say, you know, I just wish I had my my shit put together like you or I wish my life was was ready like yours is. I wish I was, you know, prepared for different situations that came that will come into my life. I think the most simplest trigger is, man, I wish I was as put together as you. And that would drive me absolutely bonkers because I was like, if only they would know how discombobulated I am. Like I am so distressed. I barely know who I am. I barely know what my name is. Barely even know what I had for breakfast this morning. And you want to be as put together as me? What the hell am I doing or saying so that you think I got my shit put together? How many have you experienced that? Or is that just me? Like, has someone ever gone up to you and said that? Man, that is so crazy to me because I'm like, you have no idea, my friend, how lost and confused I am. But I guess I'm doing something right to, to make you think that <laughs> I'm okay. But what I'm alluding to that story is Dr. Varmo shared in another interview with MSNBC that um, being put together actually is something that is a lifestyle that recently has affected young adults in their mental health. What I mean by that, or what she, what she means by that, is that there is a difference between high-functioning and low-functioning depression. The difference is high-functioning depression is people who can operate willingly throughout the day, getting their things done, focus on other things, while feeling a sense of grief, pain, or um, an acceptance with themselves. There's other people that we typically associate with depression, which is those low functioning, um, which is low functioning depression. And those are the, you know, an example that I, I could picture a stigma is the people who cannot operate on a day to day basis that you're wearing sweats, you're just laying low, you're taking it chill slowly day by day, just because there's not much that you can or want to do. That is low functioning depression. And so she said that, a lot of the times we, in, in both of those, whether you're low functioning or high functioning, one is more visible than the other, there's a sense of loneliness that exists with that grief. And she said, loneliness is not about how many people are in your social circle, but the type of people that are in that social circle. You know, are those people, people that will see you, that hear you and validate you? It's 
Loneliness is about the quality of connections that are present in your life. And she was talking about how, right, we were talking, they were interviewing her regarding the mental health crisis that exists in the world or in the country right now. And she said that the quality of interactions have decreased in the past two years uh, since the pandemic had started. Hence why we have currently have the highest mental health crisis in the last 30 years. Uh, some of the things that affect that mental health crisis or that affect that quality of connection in young adults is typically that lack of physical activity, the lack of sleep and the lack of time in person with other people. If you think about it, we didn't have to pay attention to those things pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, I mean, well, the sleep one kind of, but the lack of in-person time that we spent with other people totally over our heads because we never even thought about the option of not having in-person time with others. The same thing with physical activity. We didn't think about that when, you know, 30 years ago, even I'll say this 15 years ago, right? I'm 24, 15 years ago, we did not have as many video games, as many social media platforms as we do today. And so Whenever someone was bored, whenever there was nothing to do, what was the first thing that you do? You take out a board game. What was the other thing that you would do? You would go on a walk, on a run. You would go cycle. You would play a sport. People were involved in sports, whether it was club sports or extracurricular sports at high, in, in your high school. There was other things to do than just be connected to a technological device. Now, with that being said, there is pros and cons to a lot of those tech devices that we have present in our life that have been to our advantage and advancement in the world, right? Professionally, medically, educationally, whatever. But it really is true that this mental health crisis, if we could say it's rooted in something else, I would say it's in just superficial connections, right? When we, when she was talking about the, that loneliness is not about who's in your social circle, but the type of connections, the quality of people that you have in your social circle, that is so true. How many of us have such superficial connections? Think about the friends that you talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. Think about the people that you just texted this morning or that texted you this morning or probably will text you to later today. How many of those are real people? How many of those are people that you trust? How many of those people do you feel validated from on an everyday basis or often, at least four times a week? How many of those people will call you and say, hey, how are you doing? I wanna hear what's new. Tell me how's work, tell me how's school. How many of those people will actually check in and care about you, keep up with you, and don't forget things about your life? Are those people that you want to have in your life? Are those people friends or are those acquaintances? Are those people that you would see in your life, 20 years of your life or 20 years down the road? Sorry, I'm, I'm getting passionate. I'm getting stirred up. But seriously, take a minute and identify and see what kind of connections, what kind of quality of people do you have in your life? When we talked about opportunity and we talked about growth, are these people that you could trust with some of the hardest things that you've gone through in your life? Are these people people that will propel you and guide you to success in your professional career? Are these people that you trust and confiding in things about your relationships that you're in, whether they're platonic or romantic? I think we are so, so good at not cleaning up the people that are in our life, 
not identifying the types of connections that we have on an everyday basis. And a lot of the times this starts with social media. We Social media platforms, an alias or another word for that is their comparison platforms. They're platforms, platforms sorry, that we use to keep up with other people's life. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not true. Instagram started as a platform. Sorry, some of you may disagree and that's okay. But Instagram started as a platform for people to do what we call nowadays photo bombs. Isn't that weird? What our generation now says, oh, I'm going to do a photo bomb and just take a picture of a tree and post it. Take, take a picture of a couch or a selfie or whatever. Random things that are not edited. They're just raw. That's what Instagram started as back, I don't know, 2010. I, I really don't remember. But that's what it used, started. Now people post because they want to perceive themselves as something else, right? Going back to that sense or that theology of being put together. People use social media to give a sense that they are adequate, validated, and put together when most of the time they are not. Most of the time they're struggling with something, they have some challenges, and they typically are going to be around someone's mental health. And when we talk about social media, typically it targets inadequacies, right? It could be an inadequacy regarding your weight. It could be an inadequacy regarding your socioeconomic status. It could be an inadequacy about things that you have, materialistic or academic successes. It, It really just targets a lot of the times people that are superficial, don't really know you. You connect with them just because there's one thing that's in common, right? You could connect with people that you've never even met because you guys have the same religion. Okay, comparison and assimilation. You connect with people that you've never even met because you identify as the same sexual orientation as them. Assimilation again. You connect with them because you are comparing yourself and you would like to be like them, right? We often associate social media with influences. Okay, well, are they influencing you to go back to school? Are they influencing you to work hard, to be driven, to be passionate, to be respectful, to be honest? Are they influencing you to do drugs? Are they influencing you to steal, to drink? Let's think about the influences that people are giving off through their social media platforms because those things do ultimately affect how we perceive um, different things that happen in our life, right? These are social factors regarding mental health. And I want to talk about inspiration versus desperation, this is something that I thought about when looking at social influences in our on our mental health. More often than not, do we follow accounts that despair us rather than inspire us? Even though we say and when we talk about talk about an account, we say, "Oh my god, I follow X and they just make me feel so inspired to do this." Oh my god. Okay. Let's talk about this. What pictures did they post? You know, what comments are they posting? What are they posting on their story? Often, more often than not, do we follow people that post about traveling, uh, money, um, success, or what success is? Most of the times, that targets our comparison. And I say that just so much because it's true. How many times have you asked yourself or told yourself, I'm not in shape? Solely because you follow an account or multiple accounts that really, how do I say this, really shape 
what quote unquote in shape is, right? You believe that this persona, this ideology of in shape, what being in shape looks like based off of accounts that you follow. You base off or or you create the stigma and this ideology of what success looks like based off of accounts that you follow. You create this ideology and this fake idea of what a happy life or a happy marriage or a happy relationship is based off of other accounts that you follow. Have you ever found yourself saying, I want to be as successful as X? I want to be as fit as X. I want to be as happy as X. I want to be happy with my partner like X and X. That's so toxic. Now, I'm not calling you out for that because there's accounts that I follow just because of certain things that I identify as. There are certain accounts I follow for superficial connections. We're all guilty of it in one way or another. Is it healthy? No, probably not healthy. Especially if you read into or overthink the comparison a lot. That is affecting more of the desperation of wanting to be something that you're not and feeling like you're inadequate and not validated by that connection that you have in your life. That connection that you have chosen to have in your life. And I want to leave uh, or kind of end our time with talking about something that Matt Rich, uh, Richel, uh, who's a New York Times reporter, he shared something in an MSNBC interview, and he said that a change in lifestyle has shifted the risks that young adults face. And that there's so many significant nuances in that comment, and, and it's very true. If you think about it, 30 years ago, what were the nuances that affected people's mental health. It was commercials. It was newspapers. It was probably ads on the radio. And it would be talking about and and things that people would struggle with 30 years ago, 20 years ago was binge drinking, consumption of drugs. It was drink, uh, driving and uh, drinking and driving. It was maybe pregnancies, right? The amount of people that were just like, well, let's just have sex. There was a different type of influences that were present. There was different lifestyles that were present, which, you know, the cause and effect, the effect were different um, challenges that people had to face, right? That's why I believe that's why the, in the U.S. They, lower, they, they upgraded or increased the drinking age to 21. There's certain things that change because of the challenges that were present in that time due to the lifestyles that were created. 2022, based off the amount of technology that we have and the social media platforms that exist, the lifestyle has changed. Above that, or in addition to that, the pandemic in 2020 restricted how much um, physical activity we received, the amount of time in person we had, or the amount of interaction, social interaction that we had with others. So because of those lifestyle changes that, it, that we had, the challenges that we're facing right now is the amount of young adults that or adolescents that want to take their life that are now being diagnosed with depression, the amount of people just holistically that are on medication, antidepressants, 
is significantly higher than it was 25, 30 years ago. We have lost not just kids, teens, young adults, but celebrities, famous people that never we would have assumed or thought were struggling with depression. Depression exists very much in our life, in our country, and we must begin to identify. Instead of going through those five stages of saying, nope, I don't have depression. Nope. Why don't you just, no, I can't say that. Stop. No, no, no. That was going on a wrong path. I can't just tell you to just do something because it's not that easy. I would recommend that when you are feeling in denial to to pay attention and listen to yourself of what you're saying. Instead of saying, no, I'm not in depression, saying, you know, could I potentially be depression? Open that door, be vulnerable with yourself and saying there could be that potential um, in, in the certain feelings and situations that I'm, you know, living with. What is the lifestyle that I have? What are the things that are inspiring me slash uh, just creating stress in my life? And what are the types of connections that exist around my social circle right now? Are they superficial? Are they deep? What kind of connections are those? Because it is very true that there is a lot of people that are considering taking their life right now. And it is very sad to even think about, right? The top three ways that people lose their life in the US um, in the last three years has been number one, cancer. Number two has been diabetes. And number three has been suicide. The thing that makes me really sad about that is that cancer and diabetes are things that are not preventable. Um, well, diabetes type two is preventable, but type one and type 1.5 is not preventable. And so it's it's genetics. So with the top two, what I'm trying to say is that we are, we as in the healthcare and medical industry is looking for solutions to be able to ad- address the lifestyle of people who live with cancer and diabetes. Suicide is not a lifestyle. It's, it's a condition that is caused because of the choices or the effects that we've had with being negligent with our own mental health. And so if you are feeling like taking your life, if you do feel like you're in a spot where you want to talk to someone, I recommend going online to either psychologytoday.com or to betterhelp.com. Those two websites have helped me be able to find therapists, psychologists to be able to have conversations with me to probably get to give me not probably to give me more clarity and and someone that I feel can support me and validate me, right? We talked about earlier that the quality of connection, we want people to see us, to hear us and to validate us. And so if you want that search for those two websites, psychologytoday.com and betterhelp.com to be able to have therapists that are waiting to talk to you, talk to you. If you do feel like you're in a place that you have no one to lean on and no one to talk to, and you're feeling like you're at that point where you would like to take your own life, please jump on the phone and call 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And someone will help you there to be able to prevent something and to do our best to protect your life. Um, If you feel like this space is safe and you confide in me as well, I want to open that door and that opportunity to be able to DM me on Instagram. Our Instagram is at underscore 
uncommon conversations, DM me and I'd be happy to connect you with someone that may be a subject matter expert more than I am to be able to find you the help that you need or that you want, that you're seeking. And so that is it for today's conversation. I wanted to share those social and cultural factors that have effects on our mental health uh, because it's important to have those conversations. Next week, we're going to be joined by a good friend of mine to be talking about you know, their perspective on mental health, things that they have struggled with, and just have a dialogue back and forth. And so that is going to be coming up next Wednesday, May 18th, is going to be a conversation that we're going to be having on May 25th, which is the last Wednesday in the month. I am seeking to create a panel with a couple of my friends um, from various ages, from various backgrounds, to be able to have a bigger Q&A discussion about mental health so that we could wrap up the series of uh, for the month of May for Mental Health Awareness Month. So I want to leave you with those resources. Again, please, if you are seeking any type of information or more help to be able to combat something that you're struggling with right now in your life, feel free to go visit psychologytoday.com, visit betterhelp.com. Uh, those are two great platforms to begin your research and finding someone like a psychologist or a therapist. Um, and we'll go from there. Next episode will be available Wednesday, May 18th at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And like I said, we're going to be having a guest over. So I'm super excited about those conversations. Don't forget that if you have any recommendations on topics that you would like me to cover or just have any questions, visit our Instagram at underscore uncommon conversations and send me a direct message there. I am excited. This month is going to be talking about mental health. I do want to give you a sneak peek though, because I know next week and the week after that, we're going to be having Q and A's and panels and just live conversations with people. The month of June, we'll be talking about um, sexuality and body positivity and things of that nature, because we will be acknowledging that it is pride month. And so super excited about that. July, we will be, or I'm hoping and planning to talk about more religious, um, conversations that I have experienced in my life and, and give more clarity about religion. And so I'm super excited about that. And hopefully then in August, we will talk about culture. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and a great rest of your week and that you join me next week for another episode of Uncommon Conversations where we work together to create comfort out of discomfort. Take care, everyone.